You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks game against the Minnesota Vikings in primetime Monday night football. I'm Jen Mueller. I'll be on the sidelines for that game as I am every week. Joined by John Boyle as we are every week from Seahawks.com. Hi Jen, how are you? I am feeling pretty good this week. The Seahawks took care of business on Sunday. I'm feeling pretty good about kind of where they're sitting. It makes for a happier Happier day, happier week. Yeah, you know, winning happier three in a work. row. Yeah, it's, it's a lot happier around here when you won three straight and you're <laughs> sitting in pretty good position to control your own playoff destiny. It's, uh, you know, pretty good times. In addition, I got my Christmas cards done. So oh, there's that. Right. I believe we call that hashtag winning. Sure. At least in my house. I, I don't really hashtag <laughs> things in my house, but okay. Oh, well, all the cool kids are doing it, John. So I am definitely you just not are late one of the cool to kids. the party on that one. Uh, the party was uh, certainly happening at CenturyLink on Sunday against the Niners. And look, I- I'm going to preface this part of the conversation today by saying we know that the Niners are a team that struggled. But we also know that the Seahawks needed to come in and be pretty definitive in how they were won that game your biggest takeaways were well for starters they did what you're supposed to do again as you said the Niners have struggled you you take care of teams like that and you don't let them hang around as bad as the Niners record has been they've done some things well this year we talked about this last week it's been the turnovers that have haunted them so the CX did what they should do they got the ball away from them three times they took care of the ball you know when you ask for my takeaways from the game I, as Pete Carroll said after the game, I don't know how you talk about this game without talking about Bobby Wagner. What he did was just insane. I mean, I, I I mentioned this on Twitter. I've never seen this. I know it's been done a few times, but if you look at that defensive stat line, he filled them all. He filled every, every box. Every I saw that. Every single one of them. And you go back and look. I, I did a little research. Okay, I had help. But um, guys who have done that in recent years, it's a pretty good list. It's Navarro Bowman, Charles Woodson, Daryl Rivas, James Harrison, DeMarco Ryan. So it's that's some pretty good company. It's pretty to be elite. In. Yeah, it is. And you know, he just oh, and I left out Coney Ely did it in the Super Bowl. So, you know, postseason included, we got that's pretty good too. But and he's the only guy who did it with double digit tackles like that. It's it's insane. It is. And you know what else is insane? He just got player of the week honors. For the first time. For the first time. I don't know how I thought it was a mistake when I looked that up. I was like, oh, what am I missing? And I checked a couple times. And I think that goes to the point that we've actually brought up a couple of different times is that he is so consistent and so good that the benchmark is just too high. I mean, you have to fill every single box on that stat sheet to do something that people notice because it's out of the ordinary from the high standard that you're already setting. Yeah, and you know, Bobby Wagner talked about this last year a lot, and Pete Carroll mentioned it this week, is for him one of the big things that he takes pride in is the consistency. It's those you know, game after game, season after season. He's about to have his seventh straight year with 100 tackles. It, but you're right. When you do it, when you've got 10, 12 tackles every week and you're kind of just getting the job done week after week, it doesn't necessarily jump out at people. But, yeah, when you decide to throw a sack and a fumble and fumble recovery and interception for a touchdown, 
Hard not to notice him this week. Yeah, he's also gone six straight games with eight or more tackles, again, kind of leading that defense. And, you know, the thing about some of those tackles and what we saw, because the Seahawks had made an effort to slow down the edge rushing, right, and and running, I shouldn't say rushing, the the running on the edges, let's be clear what we're talking about here, a lot of those tackles from Bobby, he's all over the field. It's not like he's waiting in the middle of the field to make these stops. He's going sideline to sideline. He's got some range, and we saw in the interception return for he's, a touchdown. He can still move. He's got yeah. some speed. You know, he's seven years in, but he hasn't lost a step, apparently. So that was, I mean, speed was one of the big things Seahawks loved about him in the 2012 draft, and he's shown he's still got it. Do you think that he felt that he had something to prove on Sunday? In terms of just... Uh, there's a former teammate over there. There was just... Oh, there that. was a lot of talk. It, it, and I guess there was a lot of talk about facing a former teammate. And look, it wasn't just Richard Sherman. There were a number of familiar faces that were on that 49ers roster. They're a division rival. We're going to see him again in a couple of weeks. And it didn't really dawn on me during the postgame interview until I was kind of driving home where I wonder if... You know, there was so much talk made of the Legion of Boom... And Bobby's been doing this for so many years. If maybe there wasn't internally a little something to say, you overlooked me. And he's kind of a few times when people bring up the players who have left or leadership. Or the leadership, yeah. And he's always kind of like, hey, you know, middle linebackers, a quarterback of the defense. And, you know, he's been doing that for a long time. And we had such big personalities we would see in that secondary it was hard for them not to get the attention, and a lot of it was very deserved because that was an incredibly talented group. But, yeah, it did cause Bobby Wagner to get a little overshadowed over the years until maybe the last two, three years when he was getting all pro every year. But, yeah, it's yeah, I, I could see that, that maybe this was his kind of, hey, you know, there's still some really good players on this defense starting with me. Yeah. And, you know, when you take a look at what the Seahawks did in general, how about coming off a season-high 15 quarterback hits? Last week we were talking about how there was just one hit on Cam Newton, no sacks. They completely changed that around this week. And, look, I know that it's a rookie, and I know that Nick Mullins was making just a second road start. But 15 QB hits, pretty impressive considering that they had 56 in the 11 games prior to that. And – uh Needed to get that pressure. And it's good when they spread it around. Like We were talking before we started this, you know, that Frank Clark didn't have a sack. You want Frank Clark to pile up the numbers, obviously, but in a way it's almost a good sign when, you know, your best pass rusher isn't the one putting up all the numbers because it means you're getting it done from different spots. And, you know, look, it, there's something to be said, too, for what we've talked about for years, being at home. It's That helps the pass rush a lot. Carolina is a tough team to get to the quarterback anyway, but when you have to do it on the road versus home, that makes a difference as well. The negative side, if we're going to point out a negative side for the Seahawks defense, is that in the last four games, boy, quarterbacks have been able to rack up some numbers. I mean, again, look, they hit Mullins a lot. I did not see him throwing for 400 yards. It didn't really feel like it it necessarily. It made us just the way the score was the whole game. Well, it it was. So the score, and I would say this, and, and for those listening who watched the game, you know exactly what we're talking about. I mean, the Seahawks had this game, I don't want to say in hand, but they were in control of this game in the first half. And so the second half, you start to play just a little bit dif- different, not so much prevent, but it just looks a little different. You don't have to be as aggressive. I would say the other part of that is it doesn't feel like Nick Mullins threw for that because a lot of that was yards after the catch, right? Yeah. So the big play to Dante Pettis – 
it wasn't because he aired it out and went 60 yards. It's because it was a little pass that Dante turned into a 75-yard gain. Yeah, uh, but the other side of that is no matter how that happens, you can't be giving up 75-yard touchdowns, and that's one of the the top rules of Pete Carroll defense. And, yeah, it's – it, it hasn't been the same every week, but we've seen a lot of big plays, sometimes running game, sometimes passing game, over the last you know month, six games. Some of that's just been you're playing really good offenses, but you can't you know you can't keep doing that and expect to win games. And that's where you know the one thing I'll say that's mitigated that is this defense has been really good in the red zone yes. lately, and they're good at taking the ball away. And you can give up a lot more yards if you're getting red zone stops and you're getting takeaways. But again, they, you know, Pete Carroll will be the first to tell you they need to clean that up and get rid of some of those big plays. Yeah, and they're allowing quarterbacks in the last four games to complete 70% of their passes for an average of 330 yards a game. And I, I'm curious, your point of view on this, part of me just thinks or wants to believe the, the mistakes that we have seen in those coverages and those big plays, it is part of the growing pains. And you have to see some of this stuff and know how to defend it the next time around. Are we seeing this team make different mistakes in the communication and the coverage, or is it the same thing in the last four weeks? Because that would concern me. It's been more different. If it's it's different, different. I can deal with that. Exactly. And to me, at least, you know, I'm I'm not going to pretend I'm the X's and O's expert out here, but from what I've seen, it hasn't just been a reoccurring, they can't fix this one problem. It's, you know, some some of the games, you know, I, I go back to the Rams. They're really just picking the Seahawks apart with some of the underneath stuff. I think last week it was just a couple blown assignments and some missed tackles. So, it, and sometimes it's been containing the run on the edges when, as you said earlier, teams are trying to, you know, whether it's the fly sweeps or running tosses out wide. So it's, you want to get all those things fixed. But as you said, it's not just one thing that's just killing the Seahawks week after week that they can't figure out. Well, it's going to be interesting then to see how this defense matches up against the Vikings offense that really has not put any emphasis on the running game, which is odd because you've got good running backs over there. I mean, Latavius Murray is your leading rusher, but he's got just 466 yards this season. You can expect that Kirk Cousins is going to hit Adam Thielen, who leads the team in receptions and stuff on digs. Those are his two big targets. So when you talk about making different mistakes over the last couple of weeks, let's see if Monday is when this all starts coming together for the Hawks defense. Yeah, they need to clean up some of those issues we've talked about in the passing game because you are facing a quarterback who came in here last year, different team, mind you, but came in here and played a great game to lead Washington to a win, a comeback win. And you mentioned Adam Thielen. He's having a just fantastic season. He's already at 98 catches, 1,166 yards. He's a handful, and they've got two legit threats, as you said, with Diggs. So it's this is a tough passing offense, and you're going to have to slow that down. Well, and I'm curious what happens because the last few weeks, the Seahawks have made it a point to stop the run first, and they had to because last week it was the running back, Brita, who was going to, to hurt you. Now, granted, he got injured and, and re-injured an ankle in pregame warm-ups. He turned out to be not a huge factor in the game because of the injury. You had Christian McCaffrey. You've had Todd Gurley. You've had these running backs where you have really had to sell out to stop the run. I, I don't know that the Vikings care if they ever run the ball. They're 29th in the league in rushing attempts a game. They are 30th in the league in rushing yards a game, and they're averaging just 4.1 yards a carry when they do run the ball. I have a feeling that their head coach might want them to run the ball a little more. Yeah, there's been some talk of that this week in Minnesota. However, 
I don't think that they can do it. And I'm curious what happens like when we have to see the Seahawks almost it kind of flip that um, focus this week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the coaches and players on defense will tell you you always have to stop the run because, look, if you just ignore it all together, any team can gash you if you're just dropping eight guys on every play. But, it, you know, as you said, they're, they haven't really committed to it and they haven't been that good at it. They did, you know, they only rushed ball 13 times last week, but the numbers were really good. So that's where we've seen this talk about they want to they see them run the ball more. And, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they come in here and try to get that going a little bit. You're playing in a hostile environment. You're a team that's turned the ball over. They have 11 turnovers in their five losses. So that's been a problem for them, especially on the road. So, you know, maybe they come try a little bit more. But, yeah, this is going to be a game that's a lot more about committing to stopping a passing game than we've seen. We know that the Vikings defense, meanwhile, will attempt to stop the Seahawks run game. I think a few people were a little concerned at the Carolina game when there was just 75 rushing yards, you know, kind of not panicking, but just a little concerned about that, right? And then the team comes back out and runs for 168. Yeah, right back on track. And look, Carolina is a good defense, and they really committed to it. And we talked about this last week, but the Seahawks showed if you're going to commit to that and you're going to stop their run, they can beat you through the air. So this offense, they didn't have to throw the ball a lot, but they still Russell Wilson threw four touchdowns on a whopping 11 completions. I know. So, we're going to get to his efficiency yeah, in just a minute. Yeah, it was nuts. But, yeah, so this offense has shown they can kind of do it both ways. But, yeah, that, this is a tough run defense, tough defense overall, but – Really tough run defense that's going to test Seahawks. Yeah, the Vikings defense is second in the league in yards allowed per carry at 3.7, and they have allowed just three rushes of 20 or more yards this season. I think we saw three on Sunday. I know that we saw Rashad Penny go in on of 20. So that one's going to be interesting because when the Seahawks have that blocked right up front, and and I think it's been really cool to see Rashad Penny kind of come through and show his speed, his quickness. And, you know, early in the year, we saw him try to bounce things outside as rookies are wont to do because they think there's a little bit more on the edges. And now we also see that's part of his skill set. And it wasn't there for him because he was supposed to be running inside where it was blocked, all of that good stuff. I really liked the early play call in the game that got him 15 yards and down to about the one or two yard line, the one where Sweezy went in motion. Yeah, you had Sweezy on the right, basically a tight end on the right side. You're unbalanced. If you look at the the film of that, that totally threw off San Francisco. Yeah. They got totally, they had seven guys on that side of the center. And then you run the fly sweep motion that gets guys leaning. And all of a sudden you run that toss the other way. And it's, you know, did you notice Dwayne Brown on that play? How far downfield he got to throw a block? I did that, not know. That guy I can, was too busy worried about where Sweezy was going no, on that it, play. Dwayne Brown, for a guy who's been in this league a long time, he can still move in the open field. He, yeah, he was he was pulling out there and got a block on a defensive back to help spring that play. But, yeah, it's, that was a really cool design to get Rashad Penny in space, and he's really good at that when he can accelerate and go. He is really good, and I have to wonder how much of that just kind of reaffirms what he already knows about himself because later in the game, that touchdown run that he had, it was almost – now, it's not the same play call because you didn't have you know the unbalanced line and a guy in motion. But it was a toss again. But it was essentially the same play without that movement up front, and he nailed it. And you had two defenders kind of looking at each other going, how did he get by us? Yeah, I mean, it was like a cartoon. basically split him. Yeah, it looked like two guys had a had an angle to try to stop him for, you know, still would have been a good game, but not a touchdown, and he just ran right through him. Yeah, it, it was pretty impressive. Uh, we will have to see, though, what happens without DJ Fluker. I think that that was the biggest disappointment after the game is is to see Fluke go out, and, and for any number of reasons, right? 
I don't like watching grown men show that much emotion after an injury. And I don't mean like he wasn't mad. I mean, he, he was teary-eyed. He was emotional. He did not want to leave the field. That is not how he wanted his game to end. And I don't like seeing that because no, you tough. realize how much that means to him and how much he means to his teammates. I'm curious as to now what happens, even though we know what we've got in Simmons to some degree, yeah. what happens? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough loss. Fluker has been probably the best free agent addition this team made in the offseason, and he's been a big part of the resurgence of the running game. But it is nice to know you're going to plug in a guy who played that position against the Rams, and you guys in the Seahawks had a season, season high, high, 273 rushing yards. So it's it's not ideal by any means, but it's good to have a guy who you are confident in, is a similar, you know, big, mauling kind of guy that can go in there and move people, hold up well against bigger defensive linemen. And has now has that experience. That was his first start in L.A., and now he's got the experience under his belt to kind of have a feel for what he's doing. Knowing that he went up against the Rams in his first NFL start and what that defensive line offers, are you at all concerned about him going against Sheldon Richardson in the middle of that Vikings defense? Well, so it's different in terms of when we talk about the talent the Rams have, as, as good as that line is, they actually have not been a very good run defense. You know, they've, you know, Aaron Donald's probably going to be defensive player of the year, and deservedly he's even in the MVP conversation, but they really haven't been a good run defense. So you do wonder, okay, how's it going to look for Simmons against a team that maybe doesn't have quite the star power, although Sheldon Richardson's a great player, but has been a lot better against a run. How, you know, how how is he and that whole unit going to do there? Yeah, um, I think that that's interesting. One more question about Fluker before we move on to the uh, passing game and the efficiency of Russell Wilson. One of the knocks on Fluker coming in, or just over the course of his career, is his health and ability to play an entire year without getting injured. Now, for those who have watched Fluker walk or run, you understand that he is a big man who has, let's just say, some significant miles on his body after playing at Bama. Okay, knowing that that is a concern, would you take DJ Fluker as is, even if he has to miss a few games for you during the course of the year, for what he brings to the team when he is healthy? Or would you prefer to have a guy that plays all 16? Well, I'll say this. He was a bargain this year, and with what the Seahawks got him for, I would take that 100 times out of 100. You know, let's say he misses two, three games and you only get, what's he missed, three already. Maybe you only get 10, 11 games out of him for for what he was available for in free agency. I would take that every day of the week because not just, I mean, he's been a great player when he's on the field, but he's brought something just attitude-wise to that group. You know, Pete Carroll's talked about his spirit, his love of the game, and just the energy he brings. Yeah, 100%. Look, it's, you want guys to be healthy every week. It's better for continuity for the line, but... They knew coming in there was some injury history there. I would much rather it be that he's missing games for a hamstring right now than a knee because he's had Agreed. the knee problems. Yep. You worry less long-term about that. But, yeah, it's look, it'd be That's great. That's a big hamstring. It is. Pete Carroll said that <laughs> earlier this year, too. It is a big hamstring. It'd be great if he was out there every game. But, yeah, I would, I would take that. If you told me going into the season you're going to get what you've gotten out of him, even if for 10 and 11 games, I'd take that in a heartbeat. 
Would you take the efficiency that you're seeing from Russell Wilson if it means that you're only seeing him throw the ball, I don't know, a dozen times in the game? Of course. I mean, his numbers at, are ridiculous. He's, uh, you know, some of the volume numbers are down because he's through a lot the last couple of years. But all the efficiency numbers, he's having the best year of his career. Even, you know, we go back to 2015, that crazy run the offense finished on. Mm-hmm. His passer rating is now well above. He was 110 that year. He's at 115 now. He's got 29 touchdowns with only five in, or five interceptions, mm-hmm. right? And two of those have come since week two. It's, I mean, he's just been on fire. Yards per attempt are up there. Completion percentage. I mean, everything is either career high or just off what he did in 2015. It's He's having a hell of a year. 13% of his passes have gone for touchdowns. Only Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City has more has a greater percentage of his passes going for touchdowns. And, and by in, comparison, oh, go I ahead. I was going to say, in the first half, it was 50%. <laughs> he yeah. had six attempts yeah. and three touchdowns, which, which, is is amazing. A, which is absurd. It's amazing. And, oh, by the way, for those who want to see offense, Jared Goff has more than 100 passes more. Throw, that, let, me, let me back this up. Jared Goff has thrown 100 times more than Russell Wilson and has not thrown for as many touchdowns as he has. Yeah, I think Russell I, I realize that you have Todd yes. Gurley, but you don't have to air it out every play to have touchdowns scored and to be efficient. Yeah, I think he's at fourth in touchdown passes in the league, and he's near the bottom in completions. He's it's yeah, he's having a great year. Meanwhile, yeah, Russell has thrown the fewest uh, pass attempts of any starting quarterback who has started every game for their team this year. Last question for you as we get ready to wrap this up. What does the playoff picture look like right now? Well, it's kind of messy because of the NFC East. We don't know who's going to emerge from there. But the good thing we know is at 7-5, and five, the Seahawks are currently in control of their destiny. They, you know, if they can take care of business, they will be a playoff team. They're currently sitting in the fifth seed. But, they, you know, this is a real big one in terms of Minnesota at 6-5-1. and one. They know they're playing for their playoff life. They're coming in here looking to prove they haven't beat a team with a winning record yet, and they know if they lose, they're going to be in a big hole. So they're going to be getting after it. But yeah, and they've got winnable games on the schedule. They after do. This. Yeah, so they play. They play Miami and Detroit next. They do close with Chicago. So I, you know, from a Viking standpoint, I'd be willing to bet they're looking at if they can get this one, they're playing for the NFC North in Week 17. So yeah, it's you know it's. Kind of what Pete Carroll always says, control what you control. Seahawks keep winning. They're in great shape. But it's hard right now to say, you know, who they're competing with. Carolina's kind of going the wrong direction. But if they can finish strong, they're still in the mix. They've but got it, two against the Saints, They though. do. That's tough. But the, it's really hard to know. I've had people ask me, you know, was Washington losing to Philadelphia good for the Seahawks or not? I don't know because I don't know who's going to win that division because it's all clustered. Philly's 6-6. Six and six. Cowboys are seven and five. Seahawks do have the tiebreaker over the Cowboys if they were to fall back into the wild card race. Washington, record wise, are still in there at six and six, but they're on their third quarterback. It's hard to see them getting going. So, you know, you got to. Everyone matters. They're all important, but this one sure feels big in terms. Both these teams, Seattle and Minnesota have a lot at stake this week. Yeah, which is why you like the fact that it is a primetime Monday night game. And if you needed another reason to feel good, it is Action Green Unis on Monday. Woo-hoo! Bring your shades. Sunglasses at night. The Seahawks 2-0 and when they have played in their Action Green Unis. I will be in my Action Green hoodie on the sidelines, so you can watch for me then.
I'm I'll wave all... to you from the press box. You're not going to be able to see me in the in the see, crowd of action. If you were that to a green. normal game, right. we would you'd stand hey, out. Maybe yeah, I don't want to stand out chance. as much as I want. Yes, yeah, as much as I think I want. Right. Anyway, you know what I would really like? I would like to wrap this up and make sure that you guys join us again next week for another edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast when we break down what happens against the Vikings and look ahead to the final few weeks of the season. That's all we've got for you today. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.